did I forget something? Have you ever had that horrifying thought go through your mind? I know I've forgotten something. I know I was supposed to say or do or pick up or honeydew or, you know, carry out my assignment. And I have, I have blown it. I mean, it's a, it's a horrifying feeling when you just know I, there's something, but I can't remember what. And some of us may be concerned, uh, you know, with the holiday upcoming. What if I forget Valentine's? I mean, that would... That could be rough, but I want to I assure you, congregation, that that absolutely will not happen to me uh, because Denise won't let it, okay? Um, if you were to come to my house, say around, uh, I don't know, maybe January 5th or 6th, you would still see some, some, uh, some Christmas decor still around somewhere, and uh, we, we just, that's not laziness, we just love Christmas, right? We like it, for it to spread and to keep going, but somewhere around that schedule, some stuff got put away, but other things just got added or rearranged, and, and so since that time period at my house, there has been a Valentine's tree in my living room, and it's decorated with pink and red and sparkly, and, and then if you look on the mantle, I mean, we, we've got stuffed animals and hearts and all these things. And, and, and then if you, if you look in the, in the dining room, the table, it's all set. I mean, there's even a, a table runner that's, that's there. But then uh, the, the, the greatest, or I may, might say scariest of all, sitting in our kitchen on the kitchen table is a love-o-meter. And this love-o-meter, it's, it's kind of this half-circle thing. And, and, and on one side, there's like, you know, baby love, hugs and kisses, X's and O's and hearts. And, and then on the other side, it says, lost that love and feeling. And... and and there's this arrow that can be moved. It, you know, if I, I would say it should stay over here, right on the good side. But no, this arrow can swing. And it has, uh, it swings back and forth, okay, depending on the day. And so let me tell you, I'm not going to miss Valentine's, right? Because we know, man, we, we forget and there could be something of real consequences. Now, now that would be bad, but... Imagine another thing that would be really bad is if I came up here one Sunday and I was sitting and enjoying praise and worship and, oh, the goodness of God. And, hey, am I supposed to do something in a minute? You know, is there something I'm supposed to say? I mean, I can't wait to hear what the preacher says. And then I suddenly realize, oh, it's me. Now, that'd be pretty bad. That'd be bad. What if I got up here and just for the whole time, because I didn't have a message prepared. I just talked about sports and, and, and about weather and, and everything else, but I never mentioned God. That'd be kind of crazy, right? I mean, I, I, have, to, I have to feel that uh, as much as everyone hates committee meetings, there'd probably be a personnel committee meeting, maybe a deacon's meeting, some other meetings saying, we, we, we need to talk, Tim. That, that'd be bad. But imagine something even stranger than that. A, a, a preacher getting up and, and not mentioning God. That's weird, although we kind of have some pulpits and some places in the country where that's almost true. But well, imagine that God inspired someone to write a book of the Bible. 
And he writes this whole book with multiple chapters, but he just so happens to forget the name of God. And never once in that entire book of the Bible is the name of God mentioned. That'd be crazy, right? But some of you were in Sunday school. Some of you read our reading this week, and you know what I'm talking about. The book of the Bible that we know of as Esther. Probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And yet, shockingly enough, you'll never find God's name. Not as God, not as Jehovah, not as Lord Most High, not as creator of the universe. None of those things will you find in the book of the Bible. And it might make you even say, is this supposed to be in here? You know, was this a, was this a printing error? Was this, a, was this something just randomly? Ha- I mean, how did this book get in here? You know, it just so happened to find its way into the Bible somehow. And, and so let's think about this for a minute. How crazy is this? Because if you never mention God, can you really be doing something for God? I mean, is that possible? Well, let's look at a couple of verses in Esther and let's think about this concept. The very first book, Esther, uh, the very first chapter of the book of Esther, Esther 1.1, simply says this. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, who, by the way, is also called Ahasuerus. Everybody had different names back then. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. And by the way, Cush was the ancient name for Ethiopia. Okay, so this was no local chieftain. This was not some town mayor. His empire stretched continents, parts of Africa, parts of Europe, parts of Asia. This vast, enormous uh, empire. So it just so happens that there was this guy named Xerxes or Ahasuerus. And he had this vast empire. And it just so happens that after about three years, Xerxes decides to throw a party who do you usually throw parties for? A coworker, a child, your spouse? He wasn't down with that. He said, I'm going to throw a party for myself. You know, we've all thrown pity parties, but he threw an enormous party. In fact, this party is unbelievable. There's multiple parties, but the first one we hear about is 180 days long. And it's all the rich and famous. It's all the powerful, uh, special people get invited. And so, by the way, not only do we read this book and not hear a single thing about God, but over and over again, this book is dominated uh, by parties. We hear about banquets and, and ceremonies and celebrations. And even in this first chapter, there's three different parties. First, there's the big one for all the special people from all over the the provinces, all over this vast empire. The heads of every single place, they come and they enjoy this 180-day-long celebration. 
Some of you know some people who party. I bet they don't party 180 days straight, though. I mean, this is unbelievable. So after the common folk who keep working and doing all their stuff, after they kind of get tired of watching all this, uh, he says, you know what, I'm going to have a party for you guys, too. And so just there in the capital city, which was Susa, this is the capital of the Persian Empire, he actually throws a, a, a party. He displays his benevolence by saying, not just the special people, but everybody can enjoy this party with me. And for seven days, a party with all from the highest to the lowest is held. And as it was getting to the end of that party, we find out that there's actually another party going on. Now, this big party for everyone has been outside in the king's gardens. And when we say gardens, okay, we're, we're not talking about some maters and, and some cucumbers. I mean, this is, you know, ancient wonders of the world type of garden, the botanical garden, the most beautiful place. And so the king's party that, that all the men are at, this is outside. But turns out there's another party going on inside with the queen named Vashti. And she's with all the women, and they're having their own party. And we don't really know exactly why, because in the Old, in the, in the old Testament, most of the societies, banquets are for both men and women. But this particular one, they have separate parties. And toward the end of his big party, the king who has... Oh, he has imbibed, okay? He, he has taken a little bit, and so has everybody else. In fact, this, uh, this book of the Bible actually really emphasizes on the fact that it's, it's a free-for-all. There's no tab. Nobody's paying. Anybody can drink whatever they want. And so these people who have been engaging in this, in this riotous party atmosphere for seven days... And, King says, uh, you know, I've been showing off all of my wealth and all of my power, but I'm going to show these guys one more thing that I've got that they don't. Because his wife, Vashti, well, in today's terminology, we'd call her a supermodel. She was renowned for her beauty. And he decides, I'm going to let everybody see my wife and how amazing she is. And so he sends his, his eunuchs uh, over there. And by the way, this is in the ancient world. Um, if, in the ancient world, guys, if someone says, hey, I want to give you a, a great job in, in, in the royal palace and, and, and make lots of money and even get to be around lots of beautiful women, there's a catch. Okay, let me just say, there is a catch that comes along with this. And so these palace officials that would work with the queens and, and, and the princesses, they, they were all eunuchs. And he sends the eunuch over to go fetch Vashti so that she will be at his beck and call and she will come back and, and she, will, she will display her beauty and all the men can objectify her, look at her, want her, but know that he, they can't have her, just the king. And so he comes back, this messenger, <laughs> this eunuch. And I, you know the whole don't kill the messenger thing? I mean, this is one of those kind of situations. Where's Vashti? <laughs> well, king, uh, <laughs> she's not coming. And the king goes into a rage. 
Because he has spent half a year displaying to everyone in the world his power, his wealth, his dominance. And yet, he's not even in control of his own home. And this wasn't something that was shush, shush, kept quiet, some rumor. This was in front of all of the men in the city and all of the important men in the entire empire. The eunuch delivers the message, but it's the king who's been emasculated. He has been embarrassed beyond belief, and he is so angry, and everybody's worried about What in the world is he going to do? Because he was not known as a steady, calm sort of fella. And and so seven princes, not princesses, but the seven guys, the seven princes of different parts, the most important guys in the whole empire, they gather together and they form what is, it's almost like a war council, but instead of it being uh, against another nation, it's against Vashti. It's like, what can we do here? The only thing restraining this king's hand is the fact that in this empire, laws are very, very important. And once a king has set a law into motion, it cannot be changed. And so how can, we, how can we do something and how can we you know, fix this and yet stay in the laws? And the king say, look, this can't be tolerated, king. Because, you know, not only did she disrespect you, but she disrespected all men everywhere. Because this story is not going to be contained. It's going out. And the whole empire, there won't be a man be able to say a thing or be in charge of anything. The women going to be running the whole place before we know it. This is terrible. So we got to do something about this, you know. Um, these are real modern thinkers, right? And so, and so they, they say, here's what you do. First of all, you strip her of the title queen. She will never be known as the queen again. And then you're, you're going to, you know, also exile her. And she can never enter your presence ever again. Everything she knew of the palace life, of the life of a queen, it's gone. Yes, she's going to live, but she's going to live in sorrow, sadness, and misery from everything that's been taken away. King says, that'll work. And and so he agrees, and and everything goes on. And and after a while, some of his officials come back and they say, hey, um, you know, once, once they think he's calmed down enough that, that they might not get hurt for suggesting things, they say, um, by the way, it is kind of tradition. It is kind of part of our policies that, that we're going to have a queen. You know, I mean, I know you're the man. I know it's, everything is fine, but, but you're kind of supposed to have a queen too. And the king's like, huh, you know what, you're right. And, and so that they say, now let us show how you should go about getting a queen. Because last time you went the the old traditional route, you know, you married one of the royalty or whatever, but she got a little too big for her britches. And we can't let that be happening again, queen. So we've got a plan for you. And in something that we would kind of think is a mix of a reality show and, and, and and a contest and the whole nation There was this search for all the most beautiful women in the world. And 
You know, you kind of got nominated, and, and then you got sent in, the, the best of the best, you know. And uh, here they were, and they all got sent to the capital to be part of, of this whole thing going on. Well, at this point, for the first time, remember we haven't mentioned God at all. We haven't even mentioned the Jews. <laughs> I mean, we, we've been talking about pagan people, not in Israel, not Jewish the whole time. But we, we hear about this guy, and his name was Mordecai. And, and, and he was one of those whose his, his ancestors had been exiled. And um, he never made it back to Israel. He was, he was still living in a foreign place. And, and he happened to be... Um, you know, living there, and he worked around the palace, and we'll hear a little bit more later, but mostly all we hear is that uh, he didn't have kids of his own as far as we know, but, but he did have this cousin of his, almost like a niece, and, and her parents had died, both mom and dad. So here was this little orphan, little Jewish girl named Hadassah. And Hadassah, like so many others, had another name, and it happened to be Esther. And so Esther just so happens to get picked up and put in this contest. And she enters into it, along with all of these other women from all of these other places. And it just so happens that she impresses a guy named Hegai. H-E-G-A-I. I know you'll want to write that down, some of you who plan to have kids soon, right? Hegai, that's a, that's a great name. So Hegai, he's the, he's the head eunuch in charge of, of all of these women. And, you know, he decides that he likes her. He decides there's something different about this person. And, and he begins to favor her over all the rest and, and give her a little bit more freedom and, and just a little bit more of anything in general. It just so happens it works out this way. And then it also just so happens that one day when her adopted father, Mordecai, is doing his job around the palace, he hears a couple of guys, a couple of soldiers at the gate, and, and they're talking treason. They have had enough of this punk emperor, this guy who flaunts his wealth, who's arrogant, who's terrible, and they decide they're going to take him out. But again, Mordecai just so happened to hear the story, and he just so happens to actually care, and he just so happens to pass the story along to Esther. And Esther, in his name, passes the story along to King Xerxes. And so an investigation was made. They looked into it and they uncovered, yes, this is terrorism plot, this assassination plot. It's absolutely true. And, and so they go arrest those guys, put them to death, and the king is safe. And, and they even write it all official down in the records, the chronicles that they keep. And then, you know, want to know what happened to Mordecai at this point, the guy who saved the king's life? Nothing. You know, we're talking about forgetting today, and King Xerxes forgot all about him. And we know people who've forgotten the things we've done for them, and we've also forgotten the things others have done for us. 
We're a forgetful people. We get caught up in the moment, right? And so life kind of goes on. And at this point, if this was a movie, you would hear the dun-dun-dun, the ominous music. Because the villain of the story is entering the scene. His name is Haman. And uh, you need to know a few things about Haman. Haman was arrogant. (laughs) Haman... um, was a kiss-up. Haman was a ladder climber. And everybody that was more important to him, he knew how to schmooze. He knew how to kiss up. He knew how to do whatever it took to make the people above him happy. But of course, he cared nothing for anyone below him. And as his fame and, and, and you know, he You think, boy, these despicable type of people, surely they won't get rewarded. Surely the boss will see through them, but sometimes the boss doesn't. And that's what happened here because he climbs up and up the ladder. And and before long, he's at the highest level. He's friends with the king. And and, and this, uh, you know, kind of of becomes known that when you come into his presence, you bow down before him. Okay, that's... He's not the king, but that's how high and mighty he is. And so he's living life, living large. Everything is good, except one guy. Everybody in the whole city bows to him and grovels at his feet. But this one random guy who who works around the gates of the palace. And the guy's name is Mordecai, you know, the one who raised Esther. And he finds out that Mordecai, but he doesn't know anything about the connection, by the way. No connection. Nobody knows any connection between Mordecai and Esther. And, and, and he despises this man. He's angry because how dare he not honor me? But what really gets him is he finds out that this Mordecai guy is a Jew. And he couldn't stand Jews. Like many, many people throughout the ages, he'd love to be rid of all of them. And especially because this guy, Haman, he was an Agagite, which means a descendant of King Agag. And if you're an Old Testament scholar, you'd say, oh yeah, that's one of those people that was at war. So there was this age-old enmity, this hatred built in between them just because of who they are. And here he is. They're a half a world away uh, from Israel. But yet he says, now for my people (laughs) that the Israelites defeated, that they humiliated, hundreds of years later, I'm getting payback. Because I'm in a position where everything that can possibly happen, I can have it happen. He goes to the king and he says, king, you know, we're friends, right? Let me tell you, I got to warn you. There's a group of people and they're really bad people. They've got their, their own set of customs and laws, which was true. But then he also said, uh, and they're terrible citizens and they don't obey the king's laws, which was false. The best lies are that mixture of, of truth and error, right? And the king is now so comfortable with Haman, 
He doesn't even ask, oh, are those the Egyptians? Are, are, are you talking about the Ethiopians? He doesn't even ask what people group these bad people are. He says, yeah, you want to get rid of them? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Sounds like a good thing to me. You got my approval. I'll even scribble something, yeah, for, you know, to sign. And so this edict goes out without the king really even knowing exactly what he ordered. He has signed a death sentence for all Jews across the entire empire. Remember, over time, not only did some Jews get exiled to certain places, but other Jews fled in fear. And so now at this point, all over the empire, from Ethiopia all the way to India, there are various Jewish communities. And this message isn't just for the capital city, but for every city in the empire. And they get this message, and it says, on so-and-so day, anyone who doesn't like Jews, guess what? Uh, free pass. You do whatever you want to do to them. You kill them, you torture them, you steal their stuff. This has literally gone out to the whole empire. And so the weeping, the mourning of the Jewish people is over the entire empire. And of course, Mordecai, even though he's working in the palace, he knows he can't escape from this. He knows this affects him too. And, and he and Esther don't really get to talk much these days, even though they had a father-daughter kind of relationship. But one day she looks out the window and she sees him there in sackcloth and ashes and mourning and wailing and grieving. These folks, they didn't have the stiff British upper lip, okay? They, they, they weren't trying to be refined and dignified like we so often were today. In the Old Testament and even in the New, the Jewish people were very free with their expressions, whether it be celebrating or grieving. And he was just like all the other Jews grieving. And she looks out and thinks, what in the world is happening here? Because she just so happens to see him. And he sends her word because, see, she's kind of sheltered there in the palace, in the harem. She doesn't get all the latest news. And, and he lets her know, hey, this bad thing is happening. Are, are, and, and she cannot believe it. She's distraught as well. And, and he says, now, you're going to have to do something about this, Esther. Because, you know, I, you just happen to be... A perfect fit. You just happen to be in the right place and the right time. And she says, but dad, come on. Don't you know? Do you remember what happened to the last queen last time she got out of line? And do you remember that they made this law back then that she could never see the, the, the king again or go into his presence? And, and, and you know, now it's, uh, I'm allowed to if he calls me, that's the way it works. I don't get to just stop by and hang out. And, and I don't know if he's mad at me. I don't, I don't know if he's busy. But I haven't even talked to the king in 30 days. Great marriage they had, right? Okay. So here he, she is. And she's like, I, I can be killed just for stepping in his presence without permission. And 
Mordecai says, listen, I know you feel safe and secure in the palace. And, and yeah, you went through a lot of junk you didn't choose. But life is pretty grand right now. But guess what? Some way, somehow, if you don't step up to the plate, help is going to arise. Help is going to come out of wherever. And the Jewish people are going to be saved. And so she says, I'm going to do it. If I die, I die. Now, by the way, around this time, Haman happens to see Mordecai one more time. And, of course, he doesn't bow down. And he's so furious and he's so angry that he says, I'm not going to wait until that date way many months down the road. By the way, why was it many months down the road before it would happen? It's because kind of wanted to show how cool they were and that they didn't even care. And instead of picking a date, when the king said, what date do you want to take care of all these people? He said, I'll just roll the dice. And, and the, the lot or the dice well, it was called pur, P. You are, that's kind of weird, but you know, we have dice and then we have die. I mean, that's kind of weird too. But anyway, so the, the, they rolled the poor and it, it said on this date, 11 months later, they're going to all be wiped out. And now he's so furious. He says, I'm not waiting 11 months. I am going to construct gallows. I'm going to construct this, this great monumental death altar. And I'm going to build it right outside my house. And I'm going to impale him on it. And so each morning when I drink my coffee and look out my window, I can see his rotten, decaying body out there. And it's going to give me pleasure. And he went home and he told his family and his friends about all of his accomplishments and how he'd been raised up. And, and how now he was going to have his ultimate victory, getting every one of his enemies gone. But later that night, the king had a little insomnia issue. You ever have those? You know, what do you do when you can't sleep? Uh, you know, some of us, uh, I don't know, turn on the light and read. Uh, some of us just kick and thrash and say, it would be fun if my spouse didn't sleep either. Uh, you know, some of us, we, we get up and have a snack. Um, we do all kind of things, all right, when we can't sleep. But, but he says... Remember, there's no TV, okay? And he's like, what is the boringest thing that I can watch, that I can listen to, that, that, that I can have to put me to sleep? And he says, uh, bring out the history. See, you history haters, you guys would be, y'all would be on the same track, okay, with this guy. He's like, I hate history. I never listen to it. But, uh, you know, I want to sleep. I want to be bored to death. So, Bring out the chronicles of our history and, and re start reading those to me and I will pass out before you know it. Only he doesn't pass out because he hears this story about him almost being assassinated except for one guy who found out the plot. And he's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, I guess maybe he's finally sober. Whoa, I could have died. Okay, and this could be really bad. What did we do for him? I mean, we, we must have given him a plaque, right? I mean, we must have, you know, given him a raise or done something. And, and they read a little further in the Chronicles. And they said, 
Actually, King, you didn't do a thing. Oof. <laughs> Even kings can feel kind of bad sometimes. And, and he wakes up the next morning and he is determined, you know, that is not how I, I need to show anybody who's on my side. Anybody who's loyal to me, I need to show them how they will be rewarded. And so at this point, while he's thinking about rewarding Mordecai, Haman just happens to bop in. Hey, king, how you doing? King says, well, before we do anything else, I got a question for you, Haman. What should I do for that guy that, that I just love? And I just want everybody in the kingdom to know how great he is and how spectacular he is. And Haman's like, oh, he's talking about me. You know, he is like so excited. And he says, uh, King, I think you should let him wear the royal robe. I think you should put him in a chariot. And then you should have your highest and most honored official go with him and proclaim in the streets, Hail to this person. They're so wonderful. They're a friend of the king. They're a hero. And the king says... To Haman, absolutely great idea. Now you go and you do that for that Mordecai fella. And he's devastated. (laughs) He cannot even believe it. He goes home and he tells his family about what was going to happen. And and they're like, "Uh, you're doomed. (laughs) You know, the the guy that you hated and thought you were going to get rid of. If this whole thing that the king just set in motion happens, bye-bye, you're gone. And he shows up back at the palace, and he is desperate to figure out a way because he knows this is a sign. (laughs) Things aren't going well. And the queen finally steps into the king's presence and says, and he sees her. And at that moment, remember, He could say off with her head, but he sees her and he's happy. Again, he has no idea of the connection between her and Haman. He waves the golden scepter and he says, you come on in. And she says, if I've ever done anything right, can I make just one little request? And to kind of fast forward, because there was, she was really smart. She played this thing well. And, and would, you, would you come to a, I want to, I want to have a special party, just you and me and, and, and your favorite person, Haman. And they had the party and, and she, this private little party. And, and she says, uh, King says, okay, tell me what you want. She says, okay, can, can I have just one more party, special event? Just, just you and me and your favorite guy there. And, and then I promise I'll tell you what I want. And so he comes back and he's had these, these meetings, the first initial meeting and in, his, in his throne room. And now he's had two parties and, and he's remembering why he picked this woman as queen. How amazing she is. And he walks in the door and says, Esther, anything you want. Up to half the kingdom. Not literal. But he did say that, okay? That's what they would say when they'd say anything you want. Help to half the kingdom. And she says, well, there's a bully. There's a bad guy. There's an evil man. And he has tried to kill not just me, but my whole people. 
And she said, King, listen, if this was just that he was going to enslave us and steal all our stuff, but we were still going to be alive, I wouldn't have even mentioned anything to you. But, but I got to tell you, I, I cannot let my people be destroyed. And he goes from being delighted in her presence to rage once again. He cannot believe that someone would dare to do this against his beautiful queen. And he says, who is this? He's here. And she says, that guy. That man named Haman wants to destroy me and all my people. And so King Xerxes, he, he leaves he, he can't even take it. He leaves the room. He's so angry. And the whole time that he's gone out of the room, here he is on his knees before her begging. Look, I'll do anything. I, I didn't know you were one of them. We'll work something out. And, and on and on and begging and trying to work a way out. And finally, when the king comes back in, he just so happens to trip and fall and land right on top of Queen Esther. And the king comes in and says, if I had any doubt that this was true, I walk out of the room and I come back and you're assaulting my wife in my absence. And he says, oh, you're a dead man. And one of the servants, the servants are great. They're always kind of in the background. And the, one of the servants pops up and says, hey, king, by the way, I know where there's a great set of gallows that's recently been built and it's available for execution right now. King says, oh, great idea. Let him be upon that. And he was killed. But the people of God, who aren't called the people of God, just called Jews, they're still in trouble. Because remember what I said about all the pow- for all the power of the king, he couldn't change laws. And he'd already made a law. That said, hey, these people who want to attack and kill the Jews on a certain day, they can do it on that day. And he couldn't undo that decree. But Esther and Mordecai said, um, well, if you can't fix that for us, we've got an alternative plan. What about, since you can't do away with that, that you authorize and arm the Jews that on that day when their enemies rise up against them that they can fortify themselves that they can be armed and in fact they can take vengeance they can they can get rid of the enemies who'd been saying all along yeah Bob 11 months coming that third day's coming just all of those who hated and wanted to destroy the Jews now the Jews would be able to defend themselves Fully, And the rest of the story kind of ends in a sort of a happily ever after type of thing. Her, her adopted father, Mordecai, he gets raised up and now he is second in command over the whole empire. Kind of like Joseph back in the day under the Pharaoh. Here he's second in command. And the people, the Jews, not only do they not get slaughtered, but they are able to defend themselves. Now they know who hates them and, and who is out to get them because these people have been taunting them. And they defend themselves and they overcome their enemies. And this festival goes on. They, they said, hey, it's time for a new holiday. And they call it Purim. 
For remember those dice that were called the poor? <laughs> they just add a couple words. Poor becomes Purim. And the festival that began that moment has endured, uh, has been a celebration of Jews from that moment on. And now back to our opening point. Surely it had to be a mistake to not mention God, right? Or maybe, just maybe, through divine inspiration, the author knew that as he told the story and step after step after step of these turnabouts, of these things that would happen, that over time, anyone who was honestly, openly reading this story would stop saying coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. And they would begin to see providence, providence, providence. The hand of God at work in and behind the scenes when his name is not even mentioned. And throughout the Bible, the work of God is not limited to one category. But throughout the Bible, we see his open, gracious, abundant hand where he does the miracles that all can see. But the Bible never says that's the only way that God works. In fact, the Bible reminds us that so often, behind the scenes, out of the way, kind of like the song that we sing, he works in ways we cannot see. God is not surprised by elections, by world events, by disasters, by economies. He knows all of these things. And he is working in everything for his glory and for the good of his people. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of this. That all things work together for the good. And let's clarify. He doesn't say all things are good. But God uses all things. And he works together for the good of those who love him. For those who are called according to his purpose. What's the message of Esther? It's simply this. When you're in a crazy, mixed up world and situation and period of your life. And you can't see God anywhere. He's there. You've heard the, the saying... Silence speaks volumes. And in the book of Esther, by not mentioning the name of God, God brings our minds to work. And to by the end, we almost shout out and say, God had to be in this. God was watching out for me. I couldn't see it. I was fearful. I was broken. I was blinded. I was wounded. And yet, God was there for me the whole time. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I wish I could say that I always trusted 
that I never had fear or anxiety and I was always secure in you. But the truth is, God, I quickly forget. I, I, I quickly wonder. And Lord, I think that is all of us here today. We are prone to wonder. Like sheep, we have all gone astray, every one of us, to our own way. And yet, Father, when we are faithless, God, you are faithful. Because you cannot deny yourself. And you will not give up on your people. And God, when we are in facing the darkest of days and the lowest of valleys, God, you are there with us. You are our rock. You are our fortress. You are our shepherd. You are our deliverer. So God, I just pray that your word, your inspired word that we've been able to look at and think about for just a few minutes, that it would inspire us. Because we know, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You do not change. You are the same God who protected Esther and her people. And so you are the same God who loves us and cares about us and is working in ways we can't even fathom to make us more like your son, Jesus, to bring glory to your name, to build your kingdom. Lord, if we ever forget that, Remind us, oh Lord, that you are there and you are good. Oh, your goodness is so amazing. Lord, help us right now to reach out to you in thankfulness, in praise, in petition for others who are going through rough times, perhaps even confession, Lord we realize that we have doubted your word. We've doubted you because we couldn't see you. Give us eyes of faith, Lord, to know that whether or not we see you with physical eyes, you are here and you are working among us. Bless this time we have now to respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name. So I'll be down here if you have a public decision to make or, or you'd like to pray with me I'd love to be able to do that maybe some of you just though you just need to do business directly with the Lord whether it's where you are or, or kneeling here you respond to him and his message for you today would you stand please